The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, Christmas is here. We are in Psalm 90 on this uh, week of Advent leading up to Christmas. I'm not the huge um, Christmas guy. Some would say I'm a Grinch. Um, so I don't do this big Christmas series. What I do is I just keep preaching whatever God told me to preach a long time ago. And then on Christmas, we're going to talk a ton about Jesus, which is what I talk about every Sunday. And then we go back to the sermon series again. So we're in Psalm 90. Uh, this psalm is amazing because it's one of the few psalms by Moses. Mo- this is the same Moses who parted the Red Sea, the same Moses who did the Ten Plagues. Moses, this is his psalm when he was in the desert. So when God exodus the people out of Egypt, they were in the desert for 40 years, and because of their sin, God said this whole generation is going to die, and this was the psalm written about that. This is the psalm of Moses as he's, as he's watching Israelites die in the desert because of their sin, and he's saying, God, you, you are our refuge, but we're all dying here. Please teach us to know what it means to be safely under your cover, safely in your care in the midst of this desert journey. So we're going to pray. We're going to jump into this. Now, um, a little caveat before we pray and jump in. I'm preaching out of a new Bible that I got. Everyone say, ooh. This is my first. Someone said, ah, you skipped. It's ooh, then ah, you broke the rules. Uh, This is my first leather Bible I've ever owned. So in 20 years of following Jesus, I've always had faux leather ones that end up like flaking off, and then you see the fuzzy nasty under it. This is genuine, uh, like they killed a goat for this Bible. I know some, now you're doing the oohs and ahs, aren't you? But it smells like beef jerky, so I read it way more than normal. Um, And I just wanted to test drive. It's a slightly different translation, but I love it, and uh, and we're going to pray and get into it. So it's not going to be on the board, because I didn't purchase this translation for, for our software so just you follow along with your brain um, when we get into it. Let's pray. Fa- Father, it's so good that you are here. And Lord, today people need a refuge. God, after the first service, hearing stories of people going through difficult times uh, during this Christmas season, I pray that you would teach us all to run to you as our refuge this Christmas. Whether we are going through physical trials and struggles or emotional or spiritual, that we would know and understand, God, that without you, We are lost, that without you we have um, no lasting protection, Lord, especially in the realm of spirituality. Lord, help us. Help us to turn to you and run to you for safety uh, in the midst of, of the struggles and trials that are coming our way. And help us to see, Lord, that our time here is short. Help us to understand how brief life is. It's coming and going like a grass that grows and withers. Give us a perspective this morning that changes our lives this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Uh, ooh, okay, here you go. From the Beef Jerky Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. You know what else is weird? Now, if you had a leather Bible, this isn't weird to you, but it's weird to me. These, the leather Bibles are way floppier. Has anyone noticed that? If you have leather Bibles and you haven't been following Jesus for 20 years, shame on you. It took me so many Bibles to get to this point. And if you judge me for... Buying a leather Bible, I want you to know that I got it on pastor super sale because apparently when I walk into stores on the internet, they know I'm a pastor because Facebook is creepy and, um, and, and I got a, a big old discount. It was like less than a regular Bible cost. So fear not, I didn't spend $180 in a Bible when there's starving children in my house. Um, <laughs> Psalm 90, this is so good. 
Lord, you have been our refuge. Now remember, they're in the desert. You have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. So God is big. Moses starts out this psalm. What do we know about a refuge? God is a big God, which means he is a what size refuge? Big refuge. Okay, just making sure we're tracking. Um, I know it's early. Some of you are only on your 13th cup of coffee because it's 30 degrees outside. Here's what he says, verse 3. Moses says, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, and a few hours of the night you end their lives, they sleep. They are like a grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows, by evening it withers and dries up. So we have this introduction now. So the psalm is this, God, you are our refuge. You are big. You go from eternity past to eternity future. And we, mankind, are like dust. This is super optimistic for Christmas, right? You are all going to die, and you're going to die very quickly. That's what this psalm is teaching us today. Um, Have you ever wondered um, why life seems to be going faster? I used to think about this when I was younger, um, because I would hear people say it all the time. I've been people watching since forever. I take notes about people in my journal, like creepy but not illegal creepy, okay? Okay. and I want to know what makes people tick. I want to know why, what are common questions that humans ask. And one of them is that people say all the time, well, my life, every birthday especially it happens, every year just it goes faster and faster. People say that all the time. So I, I wondered, I thought, well, the earth isn't orbiting the sun any faster, so that can't mathematically be true. But something is mathematically true. For all of the math nerds out there, um, each year of your life is going faster. It's not an illusion. It's happening. Your first year of life, if you have your life, which is one pie, your first year takes all the circle to get around. Year two, you cut the pie in half. One year, two year. So half of your life is year two. Then you turn 10. So it's one-tenth. That's like probably an appropriate slice of a cheesecake. If this is a cheesecake of your life, you would take one-tenth if you're on a diet, one-fourth if you're a normal human being. But then all of a sudden you turn 20. So from 20 to 21, I mean, those pie slices are getting really small. Those are the pie slices that we give our kids on holidays when they say, Daddy, Daddy, can I have a piece of pumpkin pie? But you're selfish. So you cut your kid the slice of pumpkin pie that's made for like a Weight Watchers, a Jenny Craig supplier. That's what you do. It's just boom. You get that half point for you. That's it. Because you want the pumpkin pie for yourself. Allegedly, this is how it works. But some of you in here are older. Some of you are 70. So imagine take that one pie. We only get one pie. And now your slice is 170th. It's like a bite. <laughs> that year, that year is flying. And even, I'm not, don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible, okay? Because, because this is what this psalm says. Look, you can jump, jump to verse 10. This psalm says, this is God's word, not my words. Don't, I'm the mailman. I didn't write the mail. I just deliver it. God's word. God said, print this. Our lives, verse 10, last 70 years. Or, if we are strong, 80 years. Now, I know this is before like Vitamixers and stuff like that, okay? But still, Moses is trying to paint a reality picture. God is a refuge. He lasts forever. Man, women, children, we are all going to die. Eventually, our life is brief. 70, 80, best you got. 
When the pie starts going fast, when your, when your years get faster and faster, because 37 to 38 is, is just a smaller slice than 38 to 39, 39 to 40, 40 to AARP, discounts at the movie theater, boom, done. Now, don't think I'm making fun of you if you're older than me. I cannot wait to be old. I can't wait to mismatch my clothes, although I, th- I might have today. I'm not sure if this is blue or black. I feel like a ninja with yellow roses on me. Uh, but, but I want to be older so I can wear plaid pants that are too short. I want to be older because I am fascinated with Mr. Rogers, but if I dressed like him now, I'd get arrested near parks and schools. So <laughs> when I'm older, I get to do what I want, say what I want. I get to call every girl beautiful, and it's not creepy. Um, I don't know why older men get to do that. I think they still need Jesus. But my days are going to come, and then they're going to be gone, all of us. In 150 years, no one's going to remember me. No one's going to remember most of you or just not even our own offspring. Our, our great-great-grandchildren might know your name. Might. I'm not even, I don't know what my great-great-grandfather or grandmother's name are. I, I vaguely know where two of my great-grandparents even came from. Like they came from this region of the world because life is short. But God is an eternal refuge. So, so what, do we, what do we do? How do we go to him? Why should we go to him? And how do we go to God as our refuge? Because there's a few things that come up. A, can we go to God at any time? What if we've done really, really bad things? Now, Moses addresses this in verse 7 we're going to read. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities, that's a church word for sin and breaking God's law, you have set our iniquities before you. So God takes out all of our sin, all of our junk, and he lays it out before him. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. Now this is some scary stuff. We, we end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Now, this is, I I love, I love Moses' just brutal honesty. God, you're big and good and that's forever. Humans, we're all going to die 70, 80 if we're lucky. Man, we are wretched, wretched sinners. What are we going to do? How do we go to God as our refuge? Now, for me, I never experienced uh, the concept of refuge until recently. We all, well, if you stayed here, and even if you didn't, we experienced some type of refuge when Irma came, right? And if you're like me, this was your first hurricane that was like the mega hurricane. And, and I've ranked my natural disasters this week because right now um, an area near my hometown is just up in flames. Um, my, my brother, are they still evacuated? Your brother? My brother? No, they're, so they're back safe. But they were evacuated for a season because these fires in San Diego and Los Angeles basically burning everywhere I used to live. Um, but I'm not there because now I'm here bringing you guys hurricanes. You're welcome. Uh, but, but when Irma came, I remember thinking, how bad could a hurricane be? I mean, you've got so much warning. Hurricanes move at the slowest speed ever. Now, this is me not understanding the psychology of collective panic, okay? Because at first, I thought I saw it way out there in the Atlantic, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's tracking right toward Florida. I'm like, how do you even know? Like, it's way out there. Oh, no, it's tracking. This is the track. This is the European model, the American model. Blah, 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 blah. By the end of the five-day period leading up to the hurricane, so before Irma arrives, 
I am like best friends with Dennis Phillips on Facebook. The weatherman, I'm just like, dude, Dennis, you're my dog. I'm all about you. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. And then I didn't prepare because I'm an earthquake person. Earthquakes, the best in California. Don't get me wrong, because other places, bad buildings. California, we build our buildings for earthquakes. And they, they, for some reason, they tend to uh, quake, usually when I'm sleeping. I, I do sleep a lot, so that could be part of the problem. But usually an earthquake is like this. Ah! And then before I can get to a doorway, before I can barricade myself in a bathtub, it's over. And then you can like, look at a pool and it's sloshing. And there, are, there have been some bad earthquakes, but none that, that I've experienced um, where I thought, I'm going to die, this is it. Now, the, the earthquake's come and gone, the hur- hurricane. I mean, I was like, yeah, we're going to be safe. This is four days out. We're going to be safe. Two days out, I, I, look, at, I look at my wife I, like they do uh, in, in movies. You know, like when, they, if you ever want to see on a plane, like if you're on standby, here's how you get on the plane. You just walk up to somebody, straight face, and say, don't get on the plane. I did that to my wife two days before the hurricane. I said, I think you should leave with the kids because I'm like, I take the kids away. So then just panic ensues. Like, what? You think we should leave? Or are you going to leave? Like, no, I've got to stay. I've got to stay to like, I don't know why, like some false machismo thing, like protect my people, you know? I don't know why I was going to stay. I should have left. <laughs> but, but I didn't because I loved you guys and my wife and kids stayed. So I said, you know what? We're going to go. We're going to get one place in our house that's safe because I'm looking around at all y'all's houses and you guys stole all the plywood, you thieves, okay? So by the time I'm smart enough to go get plywood, I'm literally digging through dumpsters and construction sites looking for slabs of wood and then one of my neighbors, I had to like work and he said, if you help me do this, then I will give you one piece of plywood. He was plywooding up the last piece of his house. Every window of his two-story house was plywooded up. He's like, I just need help with one more window. I was like, dude, I've got nothing in my house. And it's like the wind is here. It's the night of the hurricane. Give me the wood. So finally he did. And I made a refuge. First time I've made a refuge. It was the coolest. I, I put the plywood up. Felt like a man because I used Tapcon screws properly. And then I brought all the mattresses into our den. So we have one room in our house, concrete walls, one window. It's boarded up. We are safe. And this is at the time where my in-laws still live with us. So I'm thinking, okay, me, Amy, my kids, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, you know, if, um, if we're going to starve, I need to pick now who I'm going to eat, okay? This is how it works in a refuge. I'm gonna, I know who I'm going for. I'm not telling you. Um, it's, it's not my kids. It's, uh, that's like eating an appetizer. I'm not going to do that, uh, except for Savannah. She's a big snack. Okay, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, and, and the hurricane's coming. I'm Dennis Phillips in. And then all of a sudden I realized, like, we are super, super safe. Like, this thing would have to, like, go rock solid. And then it's like, what was going to hit us is like a Category 37. All of a sudden it's like Category 1. Now, I don't know hurricanes. So, like, all I do when I see, like, oh, Category 1, maybe a 2. I just look at Floridians. Okay, I look at Floridians. Because you've got two types of Floridians. You've got Floridians who, like, Category 5, no big deal. Like, those people, I just, I don't listen to anything they say. Um, People that are like, okay, I... Category two, we could, we could deal with this. We might lose some shingles, but you're going to be okay. Category one, you're going to be good. So I'm like, okay. So I've got my refuge. Floridians are pretty calm. I'm going to stick this out. So I go in there, and, uh, and the night's going on, and we're watching the news. And, uh, and the news is like, yeah, it's looking like it's going to be good. Like the storm's going to go right over your house, but it's not going to be as wild as they thought when it gets to you. So my mother-in-law and father-in-law, um, they go, they're like, we're just going to sleep upstairs. And I'm like, oh, sweet, more supplies in my refuge. Um, 
And then I prayed, like, Lord, this is my blood offering to you. Save us. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> but then, as they went upstairs, that, like, brought some calmness. And then we had, like, batteries. And I had a, I had a phone charger. And then I had a backup battery for my phone charger and a backup battery for those batteries for my phone charger. Because, obviously, you, we have priorities. Okay, guys? Um, and my Bible was somewhere. Um, and then, 9 o'clock whether it was due to just like the total safeness of it all or due to IPA beverages, I just took a nap. That was it. I was safe. My kids were safe. Netflix was still working. We lost electricity for maybe like five seconds. Some of you guys are like, you jerks. I'm like, yeah, that's us. Hot water, electricity, didn't need my phone chargers. Best day ever. My kids to this day say, Daddy, when can we have a hurricane party again? And I'm like, you guys are fools. Did you see Irma? Irma was as big as 73 blue whales. So, <laughs> so, so we refuged, and I slept. I heard the wind start, and then I slept because I was safe. I, I slept, and I woke up, and it was eerily quiet when I woke up, and I thought, the storm has passed. So I poked my head out the door, seeing if wind was going to be whipping anything around my house. Nothing. I walk outside. There's stars in the sky. This is, the, this is the easiest storm I've ever done. My refuge worked. And then I looked at my phone, and I was in the eye of the storm. Like, how many times will I ever get to do this again? Thank you, thank you, Lord. And then after it passed my house, it just dissipated because of my fury. No, but it did dissipate. And I, and I tell you that whole drawn-out, ridiculous story, because so often, I don't know why we don't run to God as our refuge when life starts to stink. When hurricanes hit our life, we do the opposite of go to God. Now, if it gets really bad, you run to God. You get diagnosed with cancer, man, you are here next week, the following week, the following week, because you say, God, I need you. But, but we rarely, we, we kind of look at God like as a, as a last-minute shelter, just in case we need him, rather than a refuge who is with us all the time. Rather than someone that we can go to and have that total sense of safety and security no matter what is bombarding our lives. Now we know to do this physically. We know physically when something is endangering our lives, we go to safety. My kids do it. Your kids do it. All of our kids do it. Um, When they're getting assaulted or hurt, they run to you and I love this. I'm going to miss this when it leaves. But right now still my kids love me and they'll run to me when they need their dad. And when they run to you, you catch them and you hold them it's going to be okay. And they know that you can be a refuge for them physically. And they even know that emotionally. My, my son um, recently, yesterday actually, was getting beat up really, really, really bad by his sister. <laughs> they were fighting over peanut butter. He was eating peanut butter. Savannah wanted peanut butter. Savannah got a spoon hoping that her brother would share the peanut butter. Her brother Jackson would not share the peanut butter. Now, in case you're worrying, because those of you who know Silas, yes, my son does have a peanut allergy. Silas does. So he was nowhere near this nuclear catastrophe. Because Jackson said no, and he put the peanut butter away. Savannah grabbed Jackson, from what I can tell, and began beating him with the metal spoon. (laughs) I'm a good parent, so I never react on the first scream, okay? I react on the third scream only if I anticipate blood or broken bones. So I hear scream number one. I look over at Amy. She's tired because, you know, pregnant stuff. She did that to herself. Well, not really, but um, (laughs) she's tired. Not sick anymore, praise God. 
And I look over at her, I'm like, eh, not too bad. That scream wasn't so bad. So I'm, Amy's not going to get up, but neither am I. Scream number two. It's tempting to get up for that one, but it's the older kid. He can handle himself. Now, I need you to get this. It's one of those cut scenes in movies where I'm just not stressing out. And downstairs, like, Savannah has mounted Jackson with a metal spoon just beating him in the chest. And then I hear him clawing up the stairs, just like, help, help. And Savannah's just riding him like a pony, beating him down. And he's just weeping. By the time he gets up, he's got red spoon marks just across. And, um... And he just runs to me and says, Daddy, help. And I didn't know what was going on this whole time. I'm like, what is going on? Savannah! And he says it like he's like Braveheart escaping prison or something. But he comes to me. He's like, Daddy, can you help me? Now, here's the problem. I love my daughter most. Um, so I can't just go like discipline her. But I need to. So I, I say, what happened? And he says, Savannah beat me up with a spoon. And I did the same look you're giving me. Like, what? Aren't you seven foot two and ten or nine? How old he is? I forget that one. How old is she? She's four. But she's just four years of She-Hulk is all she is. So she comes to me, and then I put my dad face on. I'm like, now I got to go to her. So I get angry. Mm. And you can imagine my angry face is terrifying. It really is actually. So as soon as she sees me, she melts like. And then you just slow motion see that spoon. <laughs> Daddy, it hurt. What hurt, sweetie? It. <laughs> She's guilty. And she comes to me, hiding the spoon. <laughs> this, she was looking for refuge, but didn't want to be honest with it. Jackson was looking for refuge because there was things assaulting his life. I need us to learn how to be not like Savannah today because of the next part of this verse that we read. The good thing is that all of our sins are laid out before God. Yet, God is our refuge. Now, this is something that many, many church people get really, really wrong. We believe that God will only be our refuge, only be our protection, only be our Savior if we are good enough for Him. Many of us approach God just like my daughter. We get the bad stuff. I hurt. And, and just like I knew, there was a blood-soaked spoon behind her back. God knows all of your garbage. Every one of your jacked up, messed up, broken up, dirty, nasty, perverted, thieving, murderous, angry thoughts are set out before God like a buffet, and he's mad. Now, some of you might be thinking, like, wait, 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 wait. Aren't you the grace guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get to that. Because of this, God is our refuge, despite the fact that we have laid a buffet of our sin before him. Now, Moses was looking forward to the Messiah. We look backward to the Messiah. Moses was waiting for the person that would come and solve the sin God problem. We get to look back and say, look, God, you solved it. You sent your son, Jesus. He solved the sin, God, dilemma. So now, now we're, where Moses was saying, all of my sins are before you. And he says, teach us to number our days. So think about how, how fast our life is coming to an end. 
so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. This is why the average ages of churches tend to skew higher. Because I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that when you're about to meet God, you're, that's the final test, right? You're cramming for the final. If you're, if you're anything like um, me, so I'll give you an example. Um, my last two injuries have been in my sleep, okay? Some of you are looking at me weird. It's because you're not old enough yet. But those of you who get it, I fall asleep healthy as a horse. And then I wake up and my shoulder hurts. Now, either my wife is beating me in my sleep, which is possible, or I just threw something and it got hurt. I've pulled my back emptying the dishwasher. Like, clearly I am a fit person, okay? But I'm getting older. You're getting older. By the time you leave here, you will have been one, you're one hour older than when you walked in. It's terrifying. But if we number our days, if we take stock of how short our time is left, we will have more wisdom. We will think more about God things instead of earth things. Uh, I was talking with some friends right before service, and, and I was thinking about after our business meeting after, uh, today, I'm like, you know, I might go try that new place because one of the grandmas took all the kids, so I got this, like, free afternoon for a minute, and, and I'll see if uh, Savannah has hogtied my mother and beat her with a spoon by the time we rescue her. But I thought, you know, let's go to this new restaurant, Taco Yolo. But then you think, think about that name. If you don't know what YOLO is, I'm going to educate you guys on the urban dictionary of uh, the, the mid to late 2000s, okay? It's, uh, YOLO means you only live once. So there's a restaurant now in Fishhawk. I hear it's decent. I'll give you my honest verdict, never, because I don't like to taint businesses too poorly or greatly. But taco, eat these tacos. Why? I don't know. But if you eat this taco, you'll understand that you only live once. Does that not scare anybody else? Like you eat this taco, one life to live. You eat this taco, imminent danger, expected. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to go eat the tacos, and if I'm not here next week, you know what happened. Um, I tacoed and I YOLO'd, okay? If you count your days, if you realize that today could be your day, tomorrow could be your day, you're going to approach God differently. You're going to come to God as a refuge, and you're going to realize if you are like Moses, but now we see back to Christ. Moses looked forward to Jesus. We look back to Jesus. Moses said, you see everything, yet you are our refuge. There's a reason why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because in Christianity, it's the only religion, no other religion in the world, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong. Ask me, text me, whatever, email me. I've, I've read almost all of the major sacred books of every religion in the world. And I've not found one that says, you bring all of your dark sin, messed up, pockmarks, jacked up things before God. And God says, I cover it all. You're mine. Every other religion says, you clean up. You hide the spoons. You sweep your own life up. And you give your best to God. And then God will accept you only if your best is good enough. Whether it's Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, there's this sense of clean yourself up and then God will. Christianity is the only one that says, bring your hot mess because God loves you so much he sent Jesus to clean it up on your behalf. Now Jesus is our eternal refuge. The cross is where we get to bring everything and we get to leave it there. And this is good news for us because Moses is writing in the end of this psalm. He says, Lord, how long? 
Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us and for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord be on us. This is Moses' prayer essentially for what we have now. We have the opportunity to be in the refuge of God that gives us satisfaction and joy in a way that not even Moses got to experience because we have the Holy Spirit of God who comes to dwell in us. Moses had the Spirit of God guiding him. Moses had God's presence in a pillar of cloud and then a pillar of fire moving through the desert, but Moses did not have the Holy Spirit within him. We have within us now a mobile, eternal refuge, a safety from dark places, a person to go to when times are difficult and hard. We now have this opportunity to be people who are marked by humility, to be people who now get to admire God without the stress and fear that he is about to smite us. I meet too many people who still believe that God will strike them down if they come into a church building. If I go, you can't, I, I can't go to your church. If I do, lightning will strike. And I always, here it's really fun because I just tell them, we're in Tampa, Florida. Like lightning strikes all the time. Not a huge shocker. If it did happen to hit somebody that said that to me, I, I would giggle probably first. And then I'd be like, oh no, call somebody. but it's not because God is raging. God sees your sin, knows your sin, and says, I see it all, I know it all, don't hide it from me. Put it at the cross by faith. And now we get to come and be satisfied. We don't have to worry and fret. We don't have a little bit of sin, you guys. We have a truckload of sin. But because we all have a truckload of sin, it's why we sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. The song is not decent grace. How bland the taste. It's a big grace. It's a massive forgiveness. And we forget it all the time. We we just cling to the fact that I've done this. Now I can't go to church. I got a flat tire because I probably did this thing or that one time that I cussed. That's why I got this demonoid child. And no, it doesn't work that way. You have an arson of brokenness and you get to bring it to God and leave it there. And then God becomes our refuge, our protector, our watcher over her, and he goes with you where you go. This is something that we need to begin to do with one another. Because what I see too much of is Christians going to a refuge, and then we make life all about the safety bubble. I don't know why we do this, but so many church people, they they love to nerf the world. And I do it as a parent, I'm not going to lie. I've recently let my children um, do this thing. We used to call it back in the 80s and 90s, playing outside. You guys remember this? <laughs> Gasp, shock, horror. Like I let my children go out um, and just get injured and hurt and, and play with other humans. Now, initially, I was a little worried about this because children, right? Like, so I would 
I want to know, like the first few weeks this was happening, I'm like, okay, I'm going to find out everything. And I go to the bus stop, so I try to get to know my kids' friends. I'm like, okay, who do, I, who do I like? Who do I not like? Right? We do this. So I would go to the park, and I would hide in a bush until I realized, like, this is creepy. Like, I can't just, like, sit in the park, like, in a bush looking at kids. Um, so I stopped that, um, and I just would, like, go play football with them and say, hey, you guys can play Xbox, go play foosball, whatever, come to our house. So I got to know the kids. And as a dad, I want to... I don't want to be like that overprotective, but, but I would be like, okay, I got these kids all pegged. Nice guy, bad mouth kid, evil one, his, he's queen of the harpies' son, that guy. You know, I just don't want to deal with it, that kid. If I see him, duct tape him. If I see him, feed him because I like him. If I see him, just don't let him through the front door. And we have all these rules. I love it. But then I realize, you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm nerfing my kid's life. I'm, I'm, already, I'm, I'm Christian bubbling them. I'm putting them around only the people that I think are good, which is a total misnomer, right? I just said we all have a truckload. Any kid that comes to my house, they, they are going to know a couple things, that God loves them and that they are sinful people. And I don't have a problem, you know, telling other people's kids that because right now my kids are the tattle age. Oh, so-and-so said this. And I'm like, Phew, good thing God loves them too. Well, but you wouldn't believe it. They said this. Oh, Jesus' blood is better than that, right? Yeah but daddy, you wouldn't believe. And like for them, the biggest thing is um, like swear words right now. So they're, you wouldn't believe, daddy, what this kid said. He said the this, blankety blank, this word. And Silas, I think, is doing it because he is a little vindictive. He wants to get someone in trouble. I said, well, buddy, they need Jesus just like the rest of us. And it just takes the wind out of his little snitch sails. <laughs> but I want him to understand that we're all broken people. And it's, not, it's my job to protect my kids up to a point, but, but there comes a point where I have to say, now go be human beings that bring light to darkness. Christians, we have this addiction to ourselves. And we all do it. Churches across this country, including this church, we do it. You become a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. Let's get plugged in. Okay, you accepted Jesus, made a decision. Now what do I do next, Pastor? You go to Next Steps 101 class, whatever you call it. I don't know what we call it here. We're totally disorganized. And uh, and. And they go to the class, and we put them with six other brand new believers, and they meet each other. Hey, Bob, hey, Susan, hey, Bob, hey, Susan. It's just an illustration, okay, Bob and Susan. And they get together for six months. They learn about Jesus, read the Bible, pray. Boom, everything's good. And they say, what do I do next? You just finished a 101 class? Now go to 201 class, 201. And you're going to learn again. So we put them in a new class. Hey, Bob, hey, Susan, hey, Bob, hey, Susan. New class, yay, all Christian people, yay, Jesus, Jesus. Ah. And then after a year and a half, They've gone through 101, 201. They know how to pray. They're, they're greeters. They're Sunday school teachers. They're all in this thing. And then the pastor says, now let's go out and share the good news with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And everyone's like, wait, <gasps> we are supposed to talk to people who don't know Jesus? You just locked me in a prison of weird people for the last year and a half. I don't know anybody that doesn't know Jesus. Now, if you've been in the church for a long time, you're like, <gasps> he's talking about me. I am. It's scary. It's scary that we should love evangelism, but the church has programs that are counterintuitive to evangelism. The last thing I need to do, the last thing any of us need to do is come to know Jesus and then say, now let's get in every program. No. When Jesus healed the person on the other side of the lake that was possessed with a demon, the guy said, Jesus, can I follow you? And he said, no, go back to your city. Go back to your city and tell them what I've done. But we... We do this thing where we, th we view God as a refuge that's only a safe 
place to keep us protected from the big bad evil around the world. And God does do that. But that's not the primary purpose of him being a refuge. God as a refuge brings us into the cross so that he can, in verse 17, establish for us the work of our hands. So he brings us in to send us out. He says, here, bring your stuff, leave all of your sin that you've been carrying. Now your hands are free to go bring forgiveness and love and light into the dark places of the world. We are not to bombard ourselves with bubbles. We're not to do what I'm always tempted to do with my kids, which is say, you don't hang out, don't hang out with them, don't hang out with them. I'm like, no, no, let, let all the, the jacked up, messed up, broken people come. And in our lives, now there is wisdom that we have to look at because the Bible talks about wisdom. The Bible talks about how company, those you spend your time around, they influence you. There's a person, not, not religious, but just a sociology. He says that most people are the average of the five people that they surround themselves with, like in, in every demographic way. So um, you surround yourself with rich people, then you're going to tend to be wealthier. You're the average of the five people that are closest to you. Now, that's pretty funny because now all y'all are going to be like, I'm going to go find some rich people. I'm going to go find. And you want to know what's weird, I, and I think this is subconscious, but it happens here sometimes. Like, I don't know why the medical people sit on this side of the room, the majority uh, of the people that work in nursing, doctoring, all that kind of stuff, they're all over here. So if you have like a heart murmur, you should sit over here, okay? Um, I don't know why. It's just the way it is. Uh, the, the people who grew up in church, they tend to sit only in the back and the front. The grow up in churches never sit in the middle. I don't know why. That's just the way it is. The new people who are uh, coming in new or people who have been coming for a long time, they, they sit on this side usually. So you have long time and new people because they, they think the front entrance is the one with the colonnaded walkway. But the rest of us go through this way. Now you're all going to be like, next Sunday, we're not going the new people way. We don't want to be new. No, you, you do want to be new. Because there's people over there that are new, and you want to be able to walk with them, meet them, know them. God's refuge isn't one that just keeps us safe and protected. He keeps us safe to send us out. He keeps us safe, prepares us, lets us dump our sin under the umbrella of his grace so that we can now go out free and give God's love to others, share the good news of Jesus with others. This is the beauty of God's type of refuge. It's not this place that keeps us safe from the world. It's not that we are here and the world is this big puddle of evil and everyone that lives in the world, all they do is murder and kick puppies and the rest of us good people aren't here. I know that's how sometimes Christians paint it, but it's not true. Instead, we need to pop out of our Christian bubble and we bring a couple of our people with us. We say, let's go out and hang out. Let's go to Taco Yolo and see if we can survive. Let's, let's go meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Let's go be kind and tip people well that work at our coffee shop. Um, this, I've been, I kind of rotate coffee shops to tell people about Jesus. My, my recent one is Cool Beans. It's pretty convenient. I was doing foundation. Now Cool Beans opened up. So I'm trying to like go there and I try to share the good news of Jesus with the coffee people. And it's easy because coffee people, they're all addicts anyway. So it's easy. So I already know their patterns. Like quiet desperation until you get a substance. I'm just trying to switch their substance to Jesus. Okay, so I'm meeting them. And you don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to be one of the Christians that wears those weird shirts to get someone's attention. You don't have to get the spirit shirt in the Sprite font. Don't do that. You don't have to get a breadcrumb and a fish 
You could just wear Abercrombie and Fitch, and then we could all judge you for being a frat kid, okay? I just talk, and I tip. The Christians should not be what we are. We are notoriously the worst tippers. Did you know that? When I, when I worked in Hawaii, I worked at a restaurant, and, um, and there was this Christian missions agency right near the restaurant, and whenever they came in, I was like, no, because they'd be like, we want 37,000 waters, one piece of pie with 13 forks, and then they'd tip me like three cents, and, and they'd be like, after they tip me three cents, do you know Jesus? I'd be like, not your Jesus, your, my Jesus gives, your Jesus, he's stingy. So I tip. I like I'm like, I'm going to tip these people like crazy. I'm going to give them a Christmas tip. And then when they ask me what my name is, I'm going to give them a name so they will never guess that I'm a pastor. So if you, if you walk into Cool Beans and on any given day, and, and depending on which baristas are, just say, hey, this might sound weird, but do you know Thor, the god of thunder? That's the name I give them because I want them to call that out for my food. Because I've never met a pastor who goes by that as a nickname. And I love it. I'm there doing my Bible study on Saturday morning, and I love it when it's a new person, all timid. Thor, the God of Thunder. <laughs> right here, wench No, I don't call them wenches. That wouldn't be Jesus-y. Um, but because I've invested, because I've tipped, because I've been out of the Christian bubble, because I don't write all my sermons just in a church building, because I like to go out and do Bible studies instead of just doing Bible studies here or in homes, uh, now Cool Beans is doing this thing, and I was their test pilot. I don't know if it's going to work. But they're like, we want to introduce the customers of Cool Beans to the Cool Beans family. So the social media person said, would you mind if I took your picture and interviewed you, and I'm going to quote you for this thing? And I was like, wait a second. You're going to quote me? And this is how the pre-interview interview went. Can I say Jesus? Because I'm going to. Yes. Will you censor me if I say Jesus? No. Then I'm in. And I did it, and I cheesed. Hi, Thor got offended. And I was like, it's, life is better with coffee. We always should have someone that we pour into that pours into us. And she was like, I'm using that. It's gold. I'm like, whatever. I don't care. This is so much fun. Jesus at Cool Beans. It wouldn't have happened if I was there wearing a breadcrumb and a fish shirt or a spirit shirt. And I, I walked up for my first coffee and said, hey, do you know where you're going to go when you die? I mean, hey, you just can't do that. It's too soon. It's too soon. But, but you can be a normal human being that still loves Jesus, that goes to God as a refuge, leaves your sin at the cross, and now you're empowered by that refuge, and you trust that as you go out, his wings will cover you. I think the Bible refers to God's refuge oftentimes as a wing because we know that he can fly. He can be with you wherever you are. You're, not, you're never going to run far enough Get fast enough out of his presence. He can keep up with you. So leave your sin at the cross and let the good news of Jesus be your refuge. And when you go out, don't be one of those are you going to die Christians. Bring the good news of Jesus. Tip high. Love well. And when you're ready to meet him, go to Taco Yolo. No, I'm just kidding. I've never been there, so this is not an advertisement for them. I just think the name is hilarious. Okay, um, we're going to pray. And I need you to, to, to write your life with God as we pray because some of us have just been running from God. We think we, he cannot be our refuge. He can be. It is by faith alone. And I need you to pray and write your life with him if that is you. Father, many in here have been running from you because their sin haunts them. 
I pray that their sin would be left at the cross. This Christmas season is all about the fact that you came in the flesh so that you would die on the cross and put our flesh, our sin, to death. Lord, there are so many fears and worries in the Christmas season. I thank you. I thank you for how good you are to us. Give us now focus. Give us now clarity on how we are to live. Not how we are to hide in the refuge, but how we are messengers of the refuge. Give us strength and courage. Give us generosity and kindness. Teach us to forgive others like you forgave us. And help us be beacons of light and love in this world. God, this is all for your glory and for your name. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.